Hello, you're listening to the Inclusive Innovators podcast, a brand new series recorded entirely in lockdown. This series is part of the East London Inclusive Enterprise Zone, aka Elise, powered by UCL. Elise is an accessible, specially designed community for entrepreneurs who are disabled or whose work focuses on accessibility. This series is packed full of change makers, innovators and partners, all of them connected to Elise. Built on the Paralympic legacy, we're working with several partners, including Disability Rights UK, Plexor, and the Global Disability Innovation Hub to pioneer the development of products and services in and around the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. Each episode, you'll hear from our host, Matt Pieri. Matt founded Sociability, an app which helps disabled people find accessible spaces such as cafes and bars. This app is now available to download. So you know, the audio in this episode isn't the best quality. If it's better for you, you can use a full transcript, which is available via the link in the podcast description. We have transcripts available for every episode in this series. Please let us know if we can do anything else to help. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the 12th episode of the Inclusive Innovators podcast. This week, I'm chatting with British Paralympian and gold medalist Liz Johnson, learning more about her exciting work with the Ability People, helping disabled people find meaningful employment. We hope you enjoy this conversation and look forward to another one next week. Well, first of all, welcome to the podcast. It's really exciting to have you on and we're looking forward to chatting to hear all about your work in the you know, various disability impact um, spaces that you're working in, but particularly the stuff around recruitment, which we're really excited to. So, um, we might just kick off if you were happy to make a, a brief introduction to yourself and to your work. Um, that would be fantastic. Yeah, so I'm Liz Johnson, I'm a Paralympic swimming champion, and I'm also a broadcaster, athlete mentor, and advocate for authentic inclusion. And ultimately, what I do now is that I co-founded the Ability People, which is an organisation that is staffed entirely by people with disabilities or medical conditions, and we consult organizations of all shapes and sizes on normalizing differences in the workplace. Awesome. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, obviously, you're a, a very well-decorated Paralympian, um, but if it's okay, we're going to kind of ignore much of the, the details of that today because we're really keen to hear more about your work um, in the recruitment space as mentioned. So um, I was just wondering if you might want to give us a little bit of an overview into the ability people and into podium, and then we can start going from there. Um, into the nitty-gritty. Yes, yeah, so the Ability People is um, primarily a consultancy organisation that looks to get more people with disabilities into meaningful employment. That's why we set it up. Um, and so it's got a lot of different um, arms and services that we can provide people. So Podium happens to be one of those services and actually the, the newest addition to um, the library that we offer at the Ability People, because obviously during the pandemic, we were gifted almost, if you could look at it like that, the time to maybe just stop and take a check and innovate and work on things that we had to put on the back burner at the moment, but that is in the past because everything was just moving at quite high speed and we wanted to do it properly. So yeah, the Ability People, so we do a number of things. So ultimately, it, the idea was born from the fact that 
not enough people with disabilities have access to meaningful employment. Um, and so my business partner who co-founded Give Other People With Me, Steve Carter, he, his background is recruitment. He's been in recruitment role research for years. And he came at the issue with similar frustrations from stemming from a different place. So for me, I feared the stat that the employment gap for people with disabilities had remained over 30% for longer than a decade. And it infuriated me that nobody had felt that it was in, like the need to, to do something about that on a big level. I mean, everybody, like a lot of people are trying, but actually it seemed more accepted that it was okay that it sat so high. Whereas Steve's frustrations came from the fact that he was pushing for jobs all the time. And he, he was starting to feel like they were exhausting talent pools and they weren't getting access or they weren't getting people with disabilities into the, into the recruitment process in the first place. So we set up initially um, to, to enable more people to work. And that happened. so that primarily happens by setting up the ability people and everybody within the ability people has a disability or a medical condition that means that maybe conventional working environments aren't preferable for them. So instantly that was our way of directly impacting um, people with disabilities in the workplace because we created a workplace without any barriers because everybody can work remotely. We work with a team um, with flexible working hours. So ultimately people work to their strengths and we work as a unit on, on projects, on specific tasks, united together to get our motivations and our goals achieved. So that's primarily what we did straight off. But we looked at um, working in the recruitment space as like maybe a recruitment company because like with Steve's background and with that being an identified area of problem for other recruiters, it, it made sense. And also it was a sector that was, it, you were able to function in on this completely remote basis. But actually what we realized very quickly was recruiters are brilliant at what they do. Mm -hmm. However, and, and actually it wasn't that they, you needed more recruitment people in that space. You needed to change people's perceptions and understanding and the way they view disability yeah. so that they understood when someone was coming to their talent pool or was going through a process, why maybe it wasn't such a one-size-fits-all. So that's mm -hmm. ultimately how the ability people was born. Awesome. Thanks for, thanks for going through that so thoroughly. It's really interesting to hear the different you know, catalyst for this, but also the different areas you're working in. So to kind of probe a little bit on that first point where you mentioned the employment gap, you know, is, is roughly 30 percentage points and has remained so for a fair while. What are some of the things that you think contribute to that? You obviously mentioned then that last point just around like the perception of disabled people and particularly as a barrier for, you know, employers wanting to hire disabled people. Can you talk a little bit more about like that, but also some of the other factors that feed into this gap that you've discovered, um, you know, through working in the space? Yeah, so the gap itself, and that, that was the catalyst for me, wanting to look into more why this was. And mm -hmm. it, the reality is it's for a number of reasons. So people can't work. Like there, is, there are some people where they physically, like they, they can't work. That's fine, but that's actually the minority because the majority of people, there is something that everyone can do. They just do it differently. Mm -hmm. Is it that um, processes and accessibility were preventing people, which which is huge actually. And it isn't always just the environment within the work itself. It's actually 
the, the ability to get to work. Like, so people underestimate how much effort goes into somebody into getting to work with somebody who can't use conventional public transport or just things like with public transport. If you have to, if you want to use a train, but you need to book a distance, you have to book within 20, like within at least, no, sorry, you have to book at least 24 hours in advance to guarantee that space on that train and also to get that uh, um, assistance. But quite often that assistance doesn't turn up. Yeah. So you're not getting an equitable experience using that public transport. So then what happens is you have to be that person in the board meeting that says, I need to, I need to, we need to wrap this up right now because if I don't get this train, there isn't another one for me. So yeah. you're not on a level playing field with your, with your peers. So the, the accessibility issues and barriers aren't just about the process. They aren't just about the actual working environment. They're about the way society is set up and way, the, and as you point out, the way people view disability. And yeah. one of the biggest things is, the expectation of someone with a disability, rightly or wrongly, most definitely wrongly, is lower than it is for anybody else in society. Mm -hmm. So if it's almost accepted that a person with a disability maybe doesn't work, well, actually, the frustration for that person comes from the fact that they're absolutely able and willing, but the infrastructures of the country prevent them from doing so. Yep. And then you get the people who just don't want to work, actually. Yeah. But but it seems that they can they can get away with it a little better because, like I said, the expectations yeah. are lower. So there's a number of different reasons um, why people with disabilities struggle to have the same opportunities as others. So when I say struggle, I don't mean they personally struggle. I mean it is a struggle for them because yeah. the world is not set up for them. And that, for me, is the frustrating part. Is that yes, humans coming all, in all shapes, sizes, forms, and um, with different characteristics and personality traits. But it shouldn't be that they're prevented from accessing meaningful employment if they want to. It should be that they, they haven't got that job specifically because they weren't the best candidate for that role. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a really a bunch of really insightful points and I think there is this broader you know narrative that we need to to push out there that you know uh, someone's disability is a part of their personality is a part of their you know their life and their it's it's an element of diversity and just because you are disabled doesn't you know therefore mean you necessarily you know believe x or want to do y or that kind of stuff much like there are people who are non-disabled who don't want to work who would prefer to you know to, to do something else instead the same thing happens for disabled people and i think this understanding that it isn't this kind of perception of disabled people to not want to work or not willing to work or that kind of thing but like you or mentioned before exactly like you mentioned before a lot of people's perception is that you're not able to work because a lot of people try to imagine you doing what they would do yeah but with what you've got available to you yeah. and the point is that actually I've never tried to try my shoelaces with two functioning hands because I've never had two functioning hands. Yeah. Therefore, if, so, if, if someone with two functioning hands was to break their arm or tie their hand behind their back and try and do it, they would, they would find it a lot more difficult than me because they haven't learned like that. And so uh, a lot of the work we do is around normalizing difference and, it be, uh, and people realizing it's okay, it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be 
Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's the that that spot on point of like people do things just in a different way, and it's neither better nor worse. And actually, to be fair, often it's a lot more creative. And I think that narrative doesn't really come out either. And disabled people are natural problem solvers, literally every day, trying to navigate their way around barriers of all shapes and sizes, which makes them much more amenable to doing so at work. Um, so that's really cool to see that there's you know obviously a really strong narrative shift, perception kind of change element to this because I think you're right. Like it isn't just a you know put the put the screen reader software in and sort of everybody will all of a sudden just change their minds. I think it is a really big part of trying to change how we think about these um, opportunities for people. So uh, if we can then just jump a little bit into um, the, I guess, the actual ways in which you go about, you know, changing some of these things. You mentioned obviously that you can, you know, consult, but like how do you find, um, you know, conveying this empathy point? of like actually this is this difference and it's fine how how do you go about that and you know what i imagine there are challenges you know involved in that particularly for people who um have never thought about this before do say you know hear about you want to chat but then how do you kind of ensure that this lasts for a longer you know period than when you've left or gone out the door so we actually do it in a very human way so everything we do is very experiential the, the, the people that you are working with, you, you, you're almost in a partnership together and you create, we create a safe environment for them to explore the thoughts and the, 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 the thoughts they've had or ask questions, um, to live it. So we, because on my team, like I said, are all, all have disabilities and medical conditions, therefore we are a very diverse group of people. So yeah. we, and when you're, we're in front of you and we're talking to you, you're, you, you see that we are real people and you go through it and we give you very lived experiences and very sometimes very quite tongue-in-cheek examples of how people speak to you all of the time don't think anything of it yeah. and actually so so the lasting impression is that you we don't stand there or sit there up in front of people and say if you do these 10 things your your world will be more inclusive or or, or people with more with disabilities will be more receptive of you we like we like we challenge people on the thought process on why why what people are saying is maybe not the best way to go about it and like where those where those words are coming from and what has created that thought process to get to that point. So we we often impose different capabilities and different situations on the people that we're working with so that they mm -hmm. can go through so that they can reflect on how one it felt to be different. Two, how they it, it changed the way that they um, approach the situation, and three, how it changed the way that people interact with them. Because yep. actually, a lot of the time, with any difference, and disability is, is probably at the extreme end. Because, like I said, people don't ha have the same expectation of it. Yep. Is that you, 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 you very rarely find people who intentionally want to cause upset or be offensive but the their lack of exposure and education means that they they don't know they're not comfortable with how to act and, mm -hmm. and that's the reality for any difference and so what we try to do is expose them to difference and normalize that difference right from our very first interaction with them because yep. then what you find is their perception of you when you you entered the room from when you leave that stays with them, that lasts with them, because ultimately you overcome all those hurdles that they had in terms of what they thought you were going to be like, or what they thought would offend you, or what they thought their experience of you would be, and actually 
they check themselves and they and they're like oh wow yeah i did think that but the re but like we also say we're not here it's not a blame game we're not yeah. here to tell you what you're doing wrong we're here to help you along the road to, to, to broadening your horizons and understanding these differences because every day is an education for all of us and actually nobody knows everything about anything yeah and you just got to expose yourself to as much difference as possible and i think the, the thing with our team is like i said because we live it because that is a we are the personification of authentic inclusion and diversity you mm -hmm. can't get away from it yeah um when you're working with us and so it becomes very normal very quickly so to kind of play devil's advocate on a couple of points here is um because i imagine you must get this either explicit feedback or people just don't mention it to you but they think it so uh I guess my first question is like, are you preaching to the choir a lot of the time? Like, do you find that it's people who are already open to this, who want to come and be involved? Or are you speaking to people who you are like, you know, they're generally, they've never thought about this and this is a new thing. Like how does, how, what sort of reception of, of kind of, uh, I guess, what level of um, awareness are the people you're working with? Do they start with? So it goes back to the previous point really about, um, people never never wanting to think bad or never wanting to be barking at the wrong tree or going in the wrong direction. You mm -hmm. definitely find that the initially the um, engagement comes from those who are directly impacted by this in some way. They have they have a connection to it. So it might be that they they're affected or they have a friend or a relative, but someone yeah. in their like or that they extended circle is impacted by disability in some way so they have a passion for, towards it and also and like in the beginning we had a lot of those interactions and a lot of those conversations that people really really wanted to make a change but they weren't the right person in the organization to sponsor it or to, yeah. to sign it off and like one of the biggest i would say frustrations and even issues with diversity and inclusion is actually that people see it as a choice and they see it as a priority, like as in they're prioritizing different things. So, so they'll say, oh, this year we're focusing on the gender pay gap, or this year we're yeah. focusing on BAME, or this year we're focusing on LGBTQ+. Like, or like, or like, and you're like, no, inclusion is inclusion. By the sheer yeah. nature of picking one to, to, to focus on, you're not being inclusive. And you can be, mm -hmm. and like we say so often, you can be diverse, but it doesn't mean you're inclusive. Yeah. Like if you don't give, if you can bring people to a table and give them a seat, but unless you let them use that seat, then they might as well not be there. So you're yeah. absolutely right. You definitely, you definitely encounter people who are doing it because legislation requires it, um, or an initiative. They need. They're trying to get some accreditation, and quite often you'll talk to someone, an, an organisation, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we've got." accreditation our comms team builds like built and marketing builds out all the forms and actually they're not living it it's not embedded in yeah. what they do so it's that and that and, and so often then that's where the frustration comes because like you're going through this effort you obviously want to do the right thing but like that's not where it is so mm -hmm. i think like what's different about the way that we do it is like it's very difficult to then like go through this process with people who are different and then go to them, oh yeah, but you know. Mm -hmm. and so they they actually like, okay, it's, a, it's more of a change of perception and mindset rather yeah. than um, a tick box exercise. Like we don't, we don't do tick box 
exercise. They were very, very real. And I think because we we go off, we go off and we talk about anything and everything. So it's not, yeah. and then it, so it changes. So what we're trying to do is no two people are the same, right? It, whether disabled, non-disabled, male, female, like blonde hair, brown hair, no two people are the same, right? But, and everybody, everybody's got potential. And it's about creating, equipping the people that you work with, with the mindset and the comfort level to see difference in a positive thing. And, yeah. and, and actually not look to try and correct people's differences. Like it's not like everybody with brown hair has to dye their hair blonde before they're allowed into the office building, right? Like, well, that's not what, like, that's not how the world works. Therefore, you are not trying to fix people's differences because actually, as you rightly pointed out, the differences are often what makes them who they are and as successful as they are because that that need to be constantly problem solving and be resilient and be motivated and be self motivated and committed. That's yeah. what you want in an employee. That's what you want in a team member. Just because they don't look like you or sound like you or even think the same as you or come from the same place, that's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing because if you're filling a team with the same type of person, then as soon as you encounter an issue, it's an issue for everybody. Yeah, and maybe you uh, <laughs> nicely preempt my next question, but what would you say to people who basically say, like, that's great and, like, we're all about diversity, but, you know, we're also business. It's a tough time. We're trying to be as efficient as possible. We need people to do the job, you know, with the least essentially support as possible, you know, for as as quick and as um, high quality. And, you know, for me to kind of build in accommodations and things like that into the workplace just doesn't fit. What, what do you say to, like, that kind of idea that, like, we, you know, see diversity as an important thing, but like you said, it's a nice to have, not a must have, or it's deprioritized compared to other outcomes. Yeah, so then we're very, we're very hard hit in a matter of fact. We're like, right, so if tomorrow you woke up and for some reason your limbs didn't work or you couldn't see, or all of a sudden when you looked at numbers or letters, they were all jumbled up, how would you feel if you, you now can't access your job? Mm -hmm. Like, and in terms of an organization goal as a whole, do you want to be successful or like, or do you want to, so do you want people to remember you in 10 years? Do you want to change the world that you work in, the area that you work in, the sector that you, 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 do you want to dominate that? Or do you want to just be remembered for six months and then your company falls? Like short-term sacrifice for long-term gain. And actually you're, it's about embedding the change and making you as strong as you, as you can for a long-term survival and actually if you do the same as your competitors and you take the shortcut yes you might get the easy wins but when things happen when adversities um have to be faced you won't have the you won't have the tools to deal with it yeah and i think that point about like one looking longer term but two like reframing it away from negatives is really important like the idea is that lots of people think oh but it'll be more hassle it'll be you know xyz costs it'll be you know abc increase in time and they don't think about things like well actually if you focus on say like you said their resilience or their creativity or their like you know interest and passion or their motivation to work and do a good job those things actually often make up for and then sort of outstrip their kind of negatives and i think part of this is this idea that disabled people when people first think of disability they think of super negative stuff they think of you know the hassle and the burden and the pain there isn't this understanding that actually there are also a lot of positives that come out of a disabled lived experience and those things are really productive yeah, but also, 
I think, like, on that point, this, the, like, that's why we do it the way we do it, because what mm -hmm. we do is we take very everyday situations and explain how we do them compared to how you do them, and, yeah. uh, or, or the audiences them, or whatever. And actually, like, it's not your problem to solve, like, so quite common is that someone will apply for a, a role, and then they'll say, well, how are you going to get here? Like that's not your problem. Do you ask every do you ask every candidate or every employee how they get to work every morning or how they what they have for breakfast? No, you don't. Like yeah. you judge someone <laughs> on how capable they are of doing the role. So and this is again, this goes back to that idea that there is a people's perception of perfection. Mm -hmm. And like that we're all striving to be a certain way. And if we're not, then we kind of lose lose percentage or points everything yep. that we we don't have and actually that again that is why a tap what we do is we humanize it and we make it a very personal interaction so that people are like actually these are all just people like yeah. my way of my way of eating is different ways your like to your way of eating but we still both eat mm -hmm. like your way of taking notes might be different to my way of taking notes but we still get the information that we need from from a situation your, your way of traveling might be different to my way of traveling, but again, we still get from A to B. And yeah. it's, so it's about, and that's how we break down those, because, because people talk about unconscious bias all the time, right? And yeah. people do have it, but it's not an excuse to be ignorant to, to people's differences and people's, uh, and like people's way of doing things and so mm -hmm. and actually it's only unconscious for a very small amount of time because once you once something happens that brings your attention to it then it's not unconscious any longer yeah. and actually <laughs> then you are making a choice whether you ignore it or you choose to educate yourself about and it's not to say that you necessarily need to be involved in that process either of fixing it it's a bit like like you said all the, the achieved additional costs go into supporting somebody with a disability but actually mm -hmm. they live their life every day and actually so they've got they know what they need and actually they've probably got a lot of the equipment like if you looked around my kitchen I'm sure that I've got a lot more stuff in it that yeah. that compared to my my everybody peers but I bought I've got it already I don't need every time I go and do something new I don't need to start again and so actually, it, just because it's a problem for, for you, it's not a problem for me, you know? Yeah, and sure. that idea, so that's what you're trying to do, is actually get past this point where people make that judgment and they do it every single day. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff here to, to talk about, um, but <laughs> in the interest of time, um, I would just be keen to jump a little bit more into uh, the details of podium and in particular this point of like how you know it sort of links to what we've been talking about but how through podium um employers and also i guess freelancers who want to be found um preferred roles can best you know i guess display their talents and best present themselves into this space and i think um you know part of the the way the website um sort of positions itself is that you can be judged just on your talent and just on your you know ability to perform the job rather than all the kind of other baggage like you sort of been discussing that might when it, even when it shouldn't actually practically factor in into whether someone wants to employ you so what are some of the ways in which you've designed podium and some of the kind of thinking behind building something that people can yeah shine the spotlight in the right place so I think 
the key thing with Prodium is ultimately it's for freelancers that have disabilities and medical conditions. And I think often that's in, in a standardized process, that's, that's sometimes the elephant in the room and for both for both parties, right? Sometimes they're like, when, I, when do I mention it? I don't want to be on it. And for, for uh, hires, it's sometimes like, well, when do we ask? Or what do we ask? Or how do we ask? Or is it relevant? And so the one, like the fundamental thing that Podium does is it, it, it creates an environment where organizations can enter into um, a more inclusive world straight from the off. So that, because again, they, they want to, they know it's the right thing to do, but sometimes it, the fear factor prevents them. So in that sense, it's a safe environment because mm -hmm. by the sheer nature of Podium's existence and the people being on the platform, you've already accepted that they have a, they have a disability or medical condition yeah. and they've already they that stuff out there so you don't need to declare it or anything but also then cool. but also because it's for freelancers who ultimately work remotely and on their terms and, and, and within the time frame that the two parties agree then that person is showing that they they've considered everything they they're, they're ready and willing and able and like yeah. that goes back to that point. It removes the need for those prejudices because people should just see I'm looking for somebody to complete a task. I go on podium. Oh, that person's got the credentials. They've presented themselves very well through their listing and their profile. I'm going to go with them. Right? And it removes so much of the unnecessary, whether it be unconscious bias, whether it be prejudice, it just creates a platform where you know what you're entering into. Cool. No, that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I think that point about like having the baseline really clear, particularly around stuff related to the disability um, that someone might have uh, and their kind of stigma and all that sort of stuff by moving that out of the way uh, up early, I think allows that conversation to take place, you know, in a much more equal space. Um, oh, it doesn't even need, the conversation doesn't necessarily need to happen. That's yeah. the other thing. It's like, you don't see somebody and when you meet them, feel the need to like, comment on the color of their eyes, you go, every time you meet them, you go, you've got blue eyes, or you've got brown eyes. And it's similarly the same. And like one of our team members, like you said, I don't have a, I don't have a forearm. Because the amount of people that go to me, oh, you haven't got an arm. It's like, I didn't wake up this morning without it. But yeah. of course I don't have an Like I, I'm well aware that I don't have an arm, thank you. But yeah. it doesn't need referencing. And that's the other thing is sometimes people, people's uncom uncomfort, the uncomfort that some people have, need them to say things that they just don't need to say yeah and actually podium again removes that because mm -hmm. by the sheer nature if someone's put them forward put themselves forward saying this is my skill set and this is what i, I these are the types of tasks i'm interested in and looking for then they clearly are capable of doing them or they wouldn't have said it in the first place yeah and i think freelancers then are a really good target audience for that aren't they in the sense of that they come as a ready package to be deployed in you know whatever project and you don't have to sort of um worry about that element right they, they're there they're ready to do the job and they can just kind of go as soon as you're ready to to give them the green light which is which is great um yeah. in terms of uh so that's really that's all really interesting and really cool to see how you've you know gone into the space and and identified some of the problems and, and started to build solutions to them so kind of want to jump into that a little bit more um and specifically i guess your experience in starting the ability people and its various you know limbs uh and then some of the kind of 
practical challenges and solutions that you may have you know found along the way so um we sort of have been through this a little bit but just very quickly we ask everybody what their innovation inspiration was so you know what when was that moment or that thing that really tipped you on the edge of knowing about an issue caring about it to actually wanting to start to do something about it yourself for me it was that moment where i saw that that the stats of the employment gap and disability had remained as high as it had for as long as it had and I, the impetus and the inspiration then was to find out why, look at all the different reasons why. And then once I'd done that, what could I do to directly impact that in a positive way? Because I know like, I, my life is multifaceted, but that works, that enables me. I'd always, I'd always thought, you know, maybe I've just got lucky with all my different, and I have got like been fortunate to, to have opportunities that have arisen from other things. But ultimately not everybody likes would like to work the way I work, where mm -hmm. you don't actually have a standard employee and you don't have set hours and you don't, but it enables me to make the most of what I'm capable of and it enables me to manage my own schedule and it yep. enables me to minimize the negative impact that my disability has on me as a person. So, so like on the days that I'm tired, I work from home or, I, or like if I do, like if I'm having about a lot, then I do have to schedule the end of the day and I'm like, I shouldn't, it works. This, this, this model works, and yes, I'm currently in the minority. But there's no, there's no real reason why other people, other organisations, can't implement similar structures so that um, meaningful employment becomes um, accessible to all. Because this, for me, it's a systemic problem. Because yeah. the, like, if you the number of people with disabilities that you speak to. And let's be real, there's certain jobs you can't do. Like, I could never have been a cardiac surgeon. I don't have the dexterity, and I only have functioning one arm. So nobody's going to want me operating on their heart, right? That's a fact. Fair but <laughs> it's my realisation to come to, and it's my choice. If I wanted to go and do the degree and get all the information, like, that's, that's up to me. Whereas you speak to so many people with disabilities who've had such a negative experience of careers advisors or career talk or work experience placement and actually people who didn't even go on a work experience placement because they could have like the school could have find them what they wanted to do or they, yeah. they would say what they wanted to do and someone else would go well you can't do that maybe you should maybe you should lower your expectations and so that's the key for me was, was creating meaningful employment opportunities not just oh do that because your your disability fits that kind of role yeah, definitely. Um, can you give us a bit of an insight into how you actually started the Ability People? Like what practically happens, you know? So you've got an idea, you understand the space, you've got an insight because you obviously are living a work like working life that is kind of in this much more flexible remote freelance model. But how do you go about getting other people on board, setting up, you know, uh, your company and, and et cetera? Just give us a little bit of an insight to the practicalities for particularly people who might be having similar thoughts about an issue and not knowing where to start. So the practicalities of it and the biggest strength is the fact that Steve Carter, who I've mentioned already, my co-founder and I are so different mm -hmm. um, because it means that we, we explore all options before we decide on a path to take. So the like, so finding the, again, like with anything, is about finding the right, the, the appropriate team at the right time. So then what we did is I didn't look at, like, I wasn't looking at um, what type of person. I was looking at what 
um, what was going to unite people, what was what who had the same level of motivation, who had the same passion for making these changes as me. And then I I called people I knew, I spoke to lots of different people, and I compiled a team of like-minded people. Now we're all very different, we all have very different life experiences, but in terms of our stance and our position on um, accessibility, equity of opportunity, and meaningful um, existence, we were all united on that. And actually, yeah. but what, what happened organically was that we ended up with one of the most diverse teams around in terms of gender, um, ethnicity, sexual orientation, age, education, uh, whether, you were, whether you were married, whether you had children, like all of these things, just they were organic because we focused on the like-mindedness. Um, so that, that is really how it was born, and then we just built it, and it's evolved. I think the key, the key thing for me was it's evolved over time, and actually you realize what is needed and um, on where the demand is, and also where your strengths lie and what difference you can make, because there's a lot of people, rightly so, trying to do their bit to address this issue, mm -hmm. to address the issue of employment for people with disabilities, and actually just inclusion and diversity generally, because the world is, a, is an inclusive, well, it's a very diverse place, and therefore it should be an inclusive place. Um, yeah. And it's about, it was about finding, finding how you could most positively impact that. Awesome. Um, can you talk us through, I guess, some of the, like, talk us through the biggest challenge that you had particularly on and then similarly the kind of the biggest uh perception or like kind of the most common perception or stereotype that you faced when you're working in this space so one a challenge to a stereotype or perception and maybe they're the same thing but just just a bit of an insight to that yeah so i, I think I've, I've mentioned it already but the biggest challenge is that people see it as a choice to be inclusive right. not a priority not a right um, and that, that ultimately is a big challenge because people were like, oh yeah, there's not enough budget for this. No, you don't understand. Like, like I said, if you all of a sudden said to people, oh, you can't come in this building because you don't have blonde hair. Because that's ultimately what it is. Like, just in a different way, because the world is not set up. So the biggest, the single biggest challenge is people um, being selective over their demographic of diversity they're going to pick rather than appreciating that if you create an authentically inclusive environment then everybody benefits because everybody whatever their situation can make can can play to their strength and and, and work in an environment that it enables them to be the best version of themselves and yeah. i think in terms of stereotype it's that it's that idea that I need you, as a disabled person, not just specifically me, but as disabled people, we need you to fix our problems. Hmm. They're not problems because yeah. they're us. We've lived like this. Whether, even if you've acquired your disability, this is now your new way of living. So actually, the stereotype comes from like other people just not trusting that you are a human being with a cognitive ability to make things happen. Yeah. I think that's the biggest stereotype. But then that stems from the fact that actually, like I said, it is systemic in that decades ago, we didn't have the same access for people with disabilities to education or the same level or integration. And people didn't have role models to aspire to be because, and that's the issue. So 
what we're trying to do is create this world where people are more visible. It does become more normal to be different, and we're not all trying to fit into the same mold. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's great. I think that particular point around, like, you know, making it clear to people what is and is not their, you know, business really. Like, what actually do you need to worry about in this scenario? And I think that sort of stems outside of the workplace context, right? Like, I know a lot of the time, you know, if I go to a um, I use a wheelchair. If I go to a, uh, a nightclub, someone will invariably come up and high five me and be like, "Man, it's awesome to see you out here." And this perception that you know, like, that's a thing that, like, as a disabled person, I like can't do or don't want to do or it's difficult or you know, people a lot of the time I think just presuming that you need help with things that like you do on your daily basis, but that sort of more subtly get into the point that they have really low expectations about disability and that has problems. So I think that that's a really you know helpful way of framing it that you know don't worry about these things this is irrelevant to the conversation and like you said you wouldn't ask that like i've got to the nightclub i've got here by myself yeah like it's that uh, it's that implication that because of a wheelchair user why would they want to go to a nightclub oh because they're a real they're a real person that has interest just like everybody else yeah yeah, we can't around that yeah, I mean, if we went to an nightclub now, I'd be high-fived, I think, but um, I don't know if we're allowed to anytime soon. Um, I had a question, Liz, around, like, to this kind of point of this is really about changing broader narratives and stereotypes. Who are the kind of key players or allies you see in this fight that need to come on board? You know, it, when it can be as a high level as things like the mainstream media or, you know, um, arts and culture or, or et cetera, et cetera. But, like, what sort of other, you know, actors do you need to crowd into this space in order to help start to change this or would you like to I so. think, well i think the key is that we like with so often with any um social issue um we always look for people who quit their responsibility but actually we have a responsibility as humans to mm-hmm. like to create an inclusive environment but i think definitely and like you do, you need we need to advocate for people who, who don't have the opportunity to advocate for themselves. So it doesn't yeah. mean like because we don't necessarily people don't necessarily understand why how it feels to be wrong for specifically using a wheelchair or for specifically having a side dog, but they do or or for the colour of your skin, but you do know how it feels to be wrong for something that is completely out of your control that you're never going to be able to change. Mm-hmm. And actually so people need to champion, but I think in the workspace, so often this gets sent to HR or sent to a DNI lead, when actually one person alone can't champion what it needs. It's it's one of those messages. People learn by example, and so actually the the exec committees they need to make it a priority. They need to, and if it is down to budget, well, then they, they need to ring fence a certain amount of budget that is to do with inclusion. Because actually, like we said, if you fix a problem for somebody who needs it, it doesn't just benefit that person. It generally benefits a far, a far bigger range of people. And then yeah. it becomes a choice. Like if you, so if you get to a building and there's no step, uh, no ramp, sorry, and like that's a really easy one to use, right? But actually, yeah. that like, then the people who need a ramp can't get in, right? But if you have a have a bit of a habit where there's steps and a ramp, then people have choice. Mm-hmm. And like for me, I'm the other way around. I'm I can't really I'm not very good at walking down ramps. Yeah. And I've got I've got friends who have two like prosthetic legs who are not great at going down ramps. And so again, often what people do is rather than have steps and a ramp, they'll only have a ramp. 
Well, that's yeah. not that's not that's not inclusive either. And mm-hmm. so it's about giving people the opportunity to make a choice. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, for me, when when you talk about who specifically to advocate, it's the people, it's the decision makers, it's the people who can plan things off. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter how passionate people you are or who you've got in position, if they don't have the backing and the freedom to implement those changes, then nothing will move forward. And in terms of innovation in this space, obviously you're doing something new and there's a, there's a bunch of people, you know, trying to make changes in this space, which, you know, to date has been particularly, I think, consistent and conservative in many ways and, and old fashioned. How have you found being an innovator in the inclusion space? And I guess, um, what's your kind of view on the, this space uh, over the next, you know, five to 10 years? I think it's, it's twofold. So like in one, on one hand, I've found it like very um, engaging that and we've made, and we've, we've engaged with people and we've made significant improvements and gains, but I do fundamentally, I find it very frustrating. Mm. But it's 2020 and we're having to have these conversations. And to answer the, where I would love to see in 10 years time is actually that we are, we, there's no need for diversity and inclusion lead. It becomes embedded within life, every aspect of life. And yes, you still have people who you can stop because there'll always be situations where you're like, oh, I don't find out what to do here. What should I do? Or, or how should I feel? What should I think? So, but the, the people, we're not, the, the, the conversations we're having are at a deeper level rather than, yeah. You need to, like it's not okay that people have to book a train 24 hours in advance or when, when simply all you really need to do is build a raised bit on a platform at train station and that person can then wheel themselves onto the if they have that capability they should they can wheel themselves onto a train or why is it that if you are traveling and you want a space for disabled people on a train well, you can't book it if you've got like three or four people with you because surely a person with a disability only goes out with one other person at a time. Like, mm-hmm. why would you have friends? And it's those micro um, aggressions, those prejudices, those assumptions that, that are never intended to be offensive. But actually, when you start to think about where they're coming from and what they actually mean, they're, they're not acceptable. Yeah. And so I hope that we get to a point in 10 years' time where. We are a lot, well, number one, that employment gap is considerably smaller. But two, we're, not, we're in a position where people, we're not having these conversations about superficial things. People are actually living the change. Yeah. Um, no, that's really helpful. And I think really insightful. And so this sort of takes us to our, our final section, which is around this, you know, what's your innovation imagination we've been calling it. So we've heard a little bit of where you think, um, you know, will be in 10 years time. Where do you think specifically podium or what sort of role do you think the ability people will play in that, in that vision? What do you hope it will play? Well, I think, like I said, like the ability we continue to evolve because different people, different organizations are in different um, positions on, on their, I hate the word, but their journey in this experience. And so I think it changes from almost at the beginning stating the obvious to a point where you're, you're like genuinely advising at that much higher level and you're really mm-hmm. just the support is, uh, for, uh, on the whole. From the ability. But the reality is this problem is huge all over the world. So it's going to take a considerable amount of time to, um, yeah. to make, wave the magic wand. In terms of podium, I hope that it becomes a place where people go 
to promote themselves for work, but also organizations dip in and, and advertise and pass and find freelancers. Because I think one of the problems in, our, in the space for people with disabilities is they're so fed up, me included, of people having an initiative, it's fighting and going out and then it, then it, doesn't, it doesn't work because they haven't yeah. thought about it to a certain point. And like, well, you're always going to be evolving because we're living longer, we're experiencing more things, we're able to do more, and disabilities change. Even even the way I'm just not as fit as I was when I was 20. Now that I'm 34, so I find I need different bits of equipment to help me with different things that I used to be able to do. So, so there's yeah. always going to be that. But people need to be open-minded and actually. And I don't mean. And I just hope that the freelancers they back themselves because and sit down and just make a list of the things that you you enjoy, the things that the skills that you have things that you're good at and then put yourself out there and know that it is not a reflection often of, of you as a disabled person when 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 things don't work out quite often society is not set up so what we need to do is all work together in whatever space that we are to check to continue to champion this and to to educate people and expose them to these differences so that generations after us don't need to do that like so that if you spoke to someone with my disability that's 30 years older than me, their, their experience of the education system is completely different to mine. Similarly, yeah. if you speak to kids that are in school now, their experience is different to mine because we, every time we do something and we prove people wrong and we educate people on our difference, we are paving the way for the next generation. I, I think that's really powerful stuff. And on a specific point there, if you were looking back in 20 years time at, you know, Liz 2.0 starting their own idea, trying to solve a solution they're passionate about, what's one piece of advice or, or something that you would give, give to them, whether it's advice or a resource or a, a tip or what are you thinking? I think this is the same throughout my life, whatever I'm doing, is surround yourself with the right people mm -hmm. to enable you to be the best that you can be. And actually, Stick to your guns and believe in yourself and fight for what you believe in because so often people try to shut you down because they don't understand. But actually, if you've got a valid viewpoint and, and a contribution to make, then find a way to get your voice heard. And it might be not you. You might not be the person that is able to stand up and communicate that because that's not where your comfort lies. But that, that's what goes back to ultimately surrounding yourself with the right team. Yeah, awesome. And I guess speaking of surrounding and sort of building communities, um, in you know, you're involved with the East London Inclusive Enterprise Zone. And I was wondering if you might just give us a couple of thoughts of why spaces like that are important and helpful and what they, you know, can do for disabled people looking to to be innovative in this space particularly. I think because ultimately people with disabilities are exactly as we discussed, human beings, right? That mm -hmm. that, that deserve to be able to access every aspect of life and the world and everything it has to offer just like everybody else but you need innovation to make these things happen and sometimes you think about innovation on a huge scale but actually sometimes it's like just creating a little device that means you can hold your lawnmower on if you don't yeah. have grip <laughs> or like, so, like everyday tasks and I, and I think spaces like this is so important because it just increases exposure. It just increases people's education and understanding. And the more 
the more people are faced with difference and the more people with disabilities are given the opportunity to occupy those spaces, then actually the more normalized difference becomes. Awesome. I think those are some very good um, parting words. So, um, Liz, unless, oh, is there anything else in particular you just wanted to mention before we sort of draw it to a close? Things that people should know or think about or, you know, things you've learned along the way that you just want to kind of reiterate? I think we've pretty much covered everything. But I yeah. guess it's just that actually that nobody, nobody's way is better than anybody else's. And like we just, as a, as a society we, and as people, human beings, we need to check ourselves on that element of judgment that we all have. Great. I think that's really, really good spot to draw to a close. One thing I just realized I forgot to ask, like, partly because I think it's less important, but I'm just wary that some of our listeners might not know, um, is I just thought maybe Liz, you can give us a quick minute overview of, of you've got cerebral palsy. What does that actually mean and how does that kind of impact your life? And maybe one thing you've learned from, you know, your disability, just so obviously we've referenced it a little bit throughout the conversation, but people who may not have been aware or don't really know about what cerebral palsy is. Okay, so I was born with cerebral palsy, so mm -hmm. I'm hemiplegic on my right side. So essentially, it's as if I've had a stroke um, down my entire right side. So it's always been weaker and less coordinated and smaller than my left side. Um, I don't have so much movement coordination dexterity, but it's how I am, it's how I've always been. Mm -hmm. So I don't know any different. I don't know what I'm missing, if I'm missing, but actually I do know that it meant, what it did mean was right from the word go, I had to be a problem solver because I don't do anything in a textbook manner. So I don't, because I don't have two of the same limb that work, so nothing yeah. with me is balanced. Um, and I actually think in some respects that's massively helped me because mm -hmm. we all, we all come against, up against some adversity in life at some point and it's different for different people and like how, how much of an impact that has again is judged differently for different people. But it, it, it taught me, it made me realize actually I couldn't be like everybody else because I, like, no matter how much effort in it I tried to do put into being like everybody else, I would end up dying trying because it's just not physically possible. But I can still do everything everybody else does. I just have to do it Thanks for listening to the Inclusive Innovators podcast. Next week, we're joined by Shrin Madapali, entrepreneur and co-founder of Accommable. Do you want to take part in the Elise program or be part of our community? To find out more, visit www.ucl.ac.uk forward slash enterprise forward slash Elise or give us a follow on Twitter at Elise 2020. You can find out more about our virtual and physical workshops on social media, funding, app development and a masterclass on accessible comms. Captioning will be available for each session. We'd also like to thank our Elise partners, including Barclays Eagle Labs, Capital Enterprise, Disability Rights UK, Global Disability Innovation Hub, Hackney Council, Here East, Greater London Authority, Inclusion London, London Legacy Development Corporation, Loughborough University London, Plexel, London College of Fashion and UCL. This podcast is powered by Sociability.